from WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, what do the Election Day results mean for Michigan politics? We'll ask State Senator Curtis Hertel. But first, for the last few months, we've looked at the 2020 presidential election with MSU political science professor Matt Grossman, as we do for one last time now. Uh, Matt, uh, we've reached the uh, end of the road, sort of, uh, if we can just get the big guy out of the White House. Uh, but uh, what's your take on uh, how things have developed since last we talked? Well, we're, we're definitely getting a, a firm sense of the election. It looks like it's going to be uh, 306 uh, electoral college votes for uh, Biden. It also seems like Biden is going to outperform uh, other Democrats, especially the U.S. House vote, but also the state legislative vote by a considerable margin. Um, and Democrats are likely going to see their majority in the U.S. House um, cut in half at least and not in great position for 2022. Um, but the, the uh, presidential victory is uh, looking uh, very strong, uh, but it's also looking like the gap between the popular vote and the Electoral College uh, might actually uh, grow from 2016, might actually get twice as big in terms of the tipping point state versus the uh, popular vote. So the long-term geographic disadvantages of the Democrats uh, look likely to continue. I'm wondering if uh, you'd share with us your thoughts on uh, what, what do political scientists learn from this election that they didn't know uh, six months ago? Well, we learn a lot. We don't necessarily learn it immediately. So, you know, there are still articles coming out about the 2012 election and the 2004 election. And so uh, it often takes a while for, for consensus uh, to uh, develop. Um, but uh, each election really is an important opportunity. I mean, we have to get into the intricacies of some of these debates. I know people are maybe bored with the why exactly we're pulls off by three points in this state versus this state. It turns out that that's important also for everything else, because if the polls were off, um, say, because they didn't reach enough conservative respondents, that could mean that uh, polling on everything else has been off uh, for the last uh, couple of, of years. So we do need to get to the bottom of all those even kind of methodological debates. Um, but we also look at the, the broad patterns, and I think the broad patterns coming out of this election are going to be continued uh, educational polarization, that is uh, college graduates moving strongly towards uh, the Democrats, but not um, people without uh, college degrees. Uh, a surprisingly large uh, shift uh, among Hispanics uh, toward the Republicans, especially relative to uh, the shift among uh, white voters. Uh, and then a continuing density divide uh, where uh, Democrats do better in denser areas, but Republicans do uh, better in rural areas. So um, all of those are, have been seen before. They're not entirely new from this election, um, but I think those are going to be the main kind of takeaways for further investigation in this election. Uh, President-elect Biden, I think, can claim in some way a mandate uh, given the uh, record uh, number of votes he received. At the same time, President Trump received a record number of votes. Uh, he, he just uh, did it in a year when it uh, would have been better to be running against a weaker Democrat. What do, what are the implications here in Michigan? Redistricting is on the line now. Uh, 
how does this change uh, things from what uh, from a uh, you know an election in which the Democrats had say gained instead of lost in the state legislature? Well, first on the mandate issue, I mean, it, it is interesting. It, he comes in with a big uh, lead, um, but he also ran a campaign that was sort of very personal and very um, against, uh, against Trump. So uh, there was a big policy agenda, but it's not clear that, um, say, Republican senators will see the election as a mandate for that uh, policy agenda. Um, I think it's, it's actually sort of a low expectations um, presidency compared to, say, Obama or Bush when they came in, in terms of what is likely to be achieved um, in, in terms of uh, policy change. Um, for Michigan, uh, this was, you know, the best opportunity for Democrats to regain control of the, the state house. Um, and it's going to put them at, at a disadvantage uh, going forward that they uh, were not able to, to do that. Um, you can even see you can see that there was a Democratic move in the state vote overall. Um, but you see some signs like Republicans winning some of the uh, board seats in university boards, which uh, might seem like boring elections, but to us are kind of signs that there really wasn't just sort of a huge partisanship toward the Democrats. People didn't like Trump. Um, but that did not necessarily translate into into moving uh, to, toward democratic partisanship. So that, um, you know, maybe we'll give Democrats some pause. Uh, obviously, we're doing um, redistricting through a redistricting commission this time. So it will look very different. Um, but that means that these basic geographic concentration issues that Democrats face might be an even bigger deal next time. That is, it's just hard not to draw a district around Detroit that is that packs in the Democrats. Um, and several districts. And um, that means that the Republicans are more widely distributed across different districts in the state. And so if once you take account of things like communities of interest and local government boundaries, it is more likely that you see a map uh, that, is, um, that is better for Republicans than Democrats, even if it's drawn by an independent authority. And there's talk that, uh, that Michigan will lose a seat in the House. Uh, do you see that? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly other uh, states are, are growing uh, faster, and so you are going to see that uh, shift. Um, nationwide, Democrats also did not do well in state legislatures as expected, um, and I, I think the Republicans said before the election that if they, if they don't win more than eight chambers, then it's a bad night. So they were really expecting to lose, and they didn't. They actually gained two chambers. Um, so that means that um, uh, redistricting, this redistricting cycle is not going to look great uh, for, for Democrats. Um, uh, a lot of places, uh, there'll be changes that, that might benefit Republicans rather than Democrats. And I'm hearing that this could actually be, uh, it could affect Lansing, that uh, the district Lansing is in might shift. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, Tim Wahlberg could be our uh, next congressman. Well, the, um, the redistricting commission is really not supposed to take much into account about current districts or current incumbents. Um, and so they, yeah, I mean, it is logical to draw just a district around Lansing that's a democratic district, um, but it, where it's basically the metro area. And so you could see something like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it's unlikely that you'll see exactly the same um, boundaries or close to the same boundaries that we have now where we're kind of grouped uh, with the Detroit exurbs. Uh, before we go, I want to talk uh, more about polling. Uh, so we've seen now two presidential elections in a row where polling was off. 
in the micro sense. Uh, macro, they didn't do that badly, did they? Well, the polls uh, in the presidential race were off by about four points on average, which is slightly higher than, than usual and higher than 2016. Um, but not unexpected, <laughs> that is. Um, they are, that is about, um, you know, what you would expect polls to be off uh, from, the, from the final margin um, based on historical uh, trends. The problem is that they were highly correlated with how polls were off in 2016, and uh, they were even more off in Senate races and in House races and in state legislative races than in the presidential race. So all of that is a sign that there is kind of something um, fundamentally the matter um, that maybe we can't assume that the 3% of people who respond to phone polls or the people who repeatedly take online surveys in these panels are representative of those who, who don't. Um, normally we can get around a lot of problems by waiting um, by things like previous presidential vote or demographics, um, but it doesn't look like that was enough uh, this time. Uh, the uh... Uh, polls in Michigan uh, were fairly representative of what we saw across the nation, that difference of three or four percent. Uh, but uh, what, uh, some people are saying, well, this, is, this was a deliberate attempt by Trump supporters uh, to, uh, uh, to throw off uh, Democrats. Uh, do, you think, uh, you th do you think they were that organized? Well, there's uh, very little evidence of what we usually call shy Trump voters, which is people who are paying attention to the polls, go through the questionnaire, and then lie on the questionnaire. We don't have any evidence of that. However, that is um, much less likely than just the people who answer surveys at all are unrepresentative of the wider population, and there's a lot of evidence for that. Um, now, normally we have ways to correct for it, but it could be that we don't have ways to correct for this particular bias that we're now seeing. One of the theories out there is that people who don't trust other people very much or don't trust social institutions or don't trust the media or universities who might be doing the calling um, are less likely to respond to, to surveys and more likely to be uh, Trump supporters. And um, we should say this time, and more likely to be Republican voters overall, not just Trump supporters. And so um, that is a very difficult um, problem to, to solve, um, and we'll be looking into it uh, for another four years. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you along the way, but uh, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on City Pulse, uh, low these uh, many months now, every uh, every week. Uh, as I said, I hope we can talk some more along the way, not weekly, but uh, uh, definitely uh, let's stay in touch. Great. And let me just do one more plug. The Michigan Political Leadership Program and Political History Society in Ipsar, where I'm the director, is doing on Wednesday uh, a uh, election review panel where, where we will hear from the Michigan pollsters uh, and we'll also hear um, uh, from analysts uh, and reporters about the Michigan election and how it turned out. Uh, so you can sign up at ippsr.msu.edu. I'm happy to help you spread that word. Matt Roseman, thank you so much. Uh, once again, for being on City Pulse. Thank you. You're listening to City Pulse on 88.9 FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Joe Biden carried Michigan by a wide margin, but Democrats' down ticket didn't do nearly as well. What does that mean for governing Michigan, including redistricting? For that, we bring in Democratic State Senator Curtis Hertel of East Lansing. Senator, we uh, just went through... Uh, an interesting election. 
wh what are your thoughts uh, about how things uh, shaped up and turned out? Well, you know, we had uh, absolutely record turnout across the state and country, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the people were uh, more interested in being part of the process. Um, you know, I think that you, you combine all the challenges of people voting, right? Like the, uh, the, the COVID, uh, the post office, uh, you know, attacks on our post office. Um, and then actually somehow, uh, because it was harder, convince people to be part of the process. And I think that's, you know, one of the interesting things about human psychology is you try to take something away from some, from people and they will uh, fight harder, I think, to keep it. And I think that's one of the mistakes that the president made was this assumption that, you know, he could um, take people's vote away, that he could uh, try to um, discourage people from being part of the process with all of the hoops and everything else. And it turns out that actually, I think backfired significantly. Um, you can certainly see that with the amount of mail-in uh, ballots that came in um, or absentee ballots. I don't wanna call them mail-in ballots because that's that, that seems to be the new uh, slogan to try to convince people that there was some problem with the process. That we had the same process in Michigan, there were absentee ballots, people had to request them. Anyways. Um, so, I, so I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I'm encouraged by the amount of people that voted for uh, President Biden, um, which is great to say. And uh, obviously, you know, a little concerned about our country when as many people uh, still voted for President Trump. And that yeah, I wanted is, to uh, ask you about I, that uh, because there's almost a, a disconnect uh, from the top of the ticket uh, to uh, the bottom of the, the ticket in a lot of places including here in Michigan, and now Gary Peters won, uh, but not by a huge margin. Uh, Lisa Slotkin didn't improve herself uh, over two years ago. Uh, uh, why, why do you think we saw such a, a strong turnout against Trump, but uh, that didn't translate into bigger victories in Michigan and losses in other states uh, for uh, Democrats? Well, I think Alyssa Slotkin did improve her numbers. I mean, I think that. that well, she won by about four percent two years ago. She won by four percent, about four percent this time. A bigger turnout, I agree. Yeah, although, although I, the only thing I would remind you of that is that uh, if you go and look at the East Lansing voting numbers, uh, campus was significantly down because of COVID, and the, so the pool of voters that were available for campus that usually had about. Oh, four or five thousand votes weren't there. So I mean, it's not. I, I think that if you get if you, if taken into context, Alyssa Slotkin actually much better than Well, my, um, my point though is somebody very not well known, uh, Paul Yun, uh, did well with the, uh, twenty percent of the funding she had. Uh, I, I try and understand why Trump did so poorly. Uh, in Michigan, and these people didn't do better down the ticket. Sure, and that's all a fair point. I just I just want to be clear about Alyssa's numbers. Uh, you you take five thousand votes out of campus, and those those percentages change quite a bit. That's all. That's my gotcha. I, I I think it's it's the only place in. If you look at the entire state, the only places where vote numbers were down from last year was college campuses. And that's because people weren't to actually vote. Right. Uh, a lot of them voted other places, but they weren't 
Michigan State has been a pretty good, um, so East Lansing voter turnout was actually down all those precincts by significant amounts because uh, there weren't people to vote on campus. So I think that that's just a fair way to look at it. But your, your point is still there. Um, you know, the fact that the president won, uh, we didn't take the, the, the state house back. I thought that, I think most people would have thought that, uh, that if, if Joe Biden had won, that uh, we would have taken the state house back. Um, uh, the Peters-James numbers are actually fairly similar to the president, so those aren't that different. Uh, we didn't pick up uh, any new congressional seats. Um, and, you know, I think you have to look at places like Kent County that voted for a uh, Joe Biden for president overwhelmingly in Kent County. Uh, voted for uh, John James for Senate, right. then came and voted for the Democratic for Congress person, and then came over and voted for the Republican in some of the state House races, and then came and voted for uh, countywides that were Republican and Democratic county commissioners. Um, you know, there is a, uh, a more, for all the talk that we have about the overpartisanness of our politics, um, there are still split ticket voters out there. Um, and it, it really does mean that each individual campaign has a lot of work to do in going and getting those people out. Um, uh, this was in many ways a turnout election, but when you have both sides so amped up and so turned out, um, it really does come down to how those individual campaigns were run. Um, and, you know, I mean, if you, if you ran uh, for office and uh, Joe Biden won your district and you didn't win, well, you know, that means that you, that you have some work to do because those were gettable voters. It's, they, they were willing to vote for a Democrat. They just weren't willing to vote for you. I also think that there are some people in the middle that would that, that like split government. Um, they they want to, us to work with each other. They want to send a message that uh, that that uh, working together is is uh, the preferred uh, process, and are tired of uh, extreme partisanship on both sides. Um, I I don't think it comes to policy. I think if you look at policy issues, uh, you know, the idea that uh, that uh, access to health care is a right is a 60% issue in America. Uh, the act, the, the idea of uh, social justice um, and equality, 60% issue. Marriage equality is a 70% issue. Uh, uh, a woman's right to choose is a 60% issue. I, I don't think it's issues that, that people disagree with us on. I think it's um, they want to see a willingness to work in the, in, somewhere in the middle in order to get things done. They're, I think they're tired of the fighting. Um, you think the Republicans in the legislature are getting that message as well? No, I don't. But they, but they, but but see, here's the thing: the problem with that is, is that um, when you've been rewarded for your bad behavior over and over again, you don't necessarily learn from it. And so, uh, gerrymandering has largely allowed them to stay in control, even in very, very good Democratic years. I mean, we uh, two years ago had the greatest. Uh, flip since Watergate in the Michigan Senate. We picked up five seats. Uh, we're now three seats away from the majority, and uh, they're not acting much different in that regard. They still have, they have to work for those more, um, and we're able to get more done. And uh, I don't get me wrong, I, I serve with um, some people that I really enjoy working with on the other side of the aisle, uh, but their overall actions against uh, the governor and all and some of the uh, you know, the, the inability to ban guns in the Capitol, the, the fact that after this election, we're pretending as if Joe Biden 
who won by 150,000 votes, 15 times what Donald Trump won the state last time. And we have to do this in these investigations into, um, you know, the, the outcome. Um, I don't remember them calling for investigations when it was a 10,000 vote win the other side benefited them. And I know I don't think they've learned their lesson, but that's because um, they've largely been able to maintain their majorities even when uh, they're overwhelmingly voted against. And so this next election cycle, when you look at um, a fair drawing of the maps, um, that should uh, obviously uh, provide for, for more opportunity. Uh, you're listening to uh, 88.9 uh, WDBM-FM. I'm Burrell Schwartz talking to State Senator Curtis Hurtel uh, about uh, politics. I, wa I want to stay on that uh, theme, Senator. Uh, we're now facing uh, an out-of-control situation with the uh, coronavirus, uh, according to our leading state health official. Uh, and uh, we've got now, though, uh, uh, the governor trying to reach out to the Republicans to agree on uh, uh, how to deal with uh, prevention. Uh, is, are the Republicans, uh, are they coming from a, a philosophical place they just disagree with what she has done? Or do, do they, are they just coming from a place of we we need to be part of the solution, and they you expect they'll step up and be part of the solution. Well, here's the frustrating thing: the legislature sued to be part of the solution. They uh, the Republicans sued. They collected signatures to be part of the, of, of the solution. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on uh, the uh, collecting signatures around the state. And, uh, all that, and then so now they've caught the car, right? They've, they've the, and they don't know what to do with it. And that, that, that's that's the frustrating thing for me is that um, you know uh, you can say you want to be part of the problem, the, the solution, all you want, but you got to actually like admit what the problem is and then go and focus on it. And I've seen no re willingness to work on uh, masks or public, uh, you know. And it's inarguable that we now are in a worse spike than we were at the beginning of this. You look at any of the numbers, and it shows that um, we're seeing a giant increase in the the amounts, um, the hospitalization, uh, all those things. Um, our hospitals are starting to get overrun. And while last time there were very dire situations in specific parts of the state. Now we're seeing uh, across the state. So you can't just say it's a Detroit problem. You can't just say it's a tri-county problem. You can't just say it's a problem in our cities. Uh, it's a problem across the state. And so far, uh, I've seen very little action. Uh, we've codified some executive orders. Um, we've done some things on unemployment, but still haven't done it all past the end of the year. Uh, you know, this is a, this should be treated like the crisis that it is. And now we're, you know, on break till December. Um, and the governor's going to have to do tough things and the Department of Health is going to have to do some tough things. And I don't want to hear complaining from the other side if they're not willing to come in and actually solve these problems. And don't get me wrong, we probably shouldn't be in right now.
you got there there are uh several members of the house that have covid my minority leader has covid it's i mean uh we're becoming a, a super spreader event every time we come into session in the capitol building so um the reason why the emergency laws are written the way they were is because the legislature is a slow acting body it's intended to be that and especially in an emergency you need somebody to actually make tough decisions um and i'm glad that there's still the power on the public health orders and i trust uh the department to get some of those things right and i trust our local health department to get a lot of things right um but it, what is the point of suing to be part of the process and all that other than to gin up a base and, and you know uh probably send mixed messages on on social distancing and masks uh what was the point of all that if you're not gonna be if, you, if what, what is the point of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and suing the governor and all that stuff but the other day you're not even gonna be part of the process at that point you don't even you don't have any interest before i let you go uh come january 1st you will be in the last half of your final term in the senate uh, and i you are term limited correct I am terminal out. Yeah. yeah I'm What's next? Two years left. What's next for Curtis Hertel? Two more years. Two more years. <laughs> um, listen, uh, I have not made any uh, decisions at this point. Um, obviously, uh, you know it's weird when you come to an end of a census term because uh, you know the lines are going to be redrawn and everything else. Um, I wake up every day. I love to do my job. It's been the greatest honor of my life to serve in the state senate. And I think I'm good at public service. It's what I care about. Um, I wake up uh, excited to do it. And uh, if the people um, will want me to serve in some other role, um, I'll, I, I will uh, be looking at looking for that. Um, uh, right. So, uh, you know, I mean, I have no uh, plans yet or anything else to announce. And uh, it's hard to even know what the game looks like, but, um, I hope I've served the people well and that they'll uh, want me to serve again. Curtis Hertel, as always, thank you for being on City Pulse. Thank you, my friend. Well, by the old clock on the wall, before we go, though, let's take our weekly trip down Michigan's musical memory lane with our music columnist, Rich Tupica. For City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>